Well, hello there, Lafayette. This is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show. Back with y'all today. A little bit of excitement yesterday. Got a lot of steps in, I will say that. Uh, if you know, if you paid attention to the local news yesterday, you can probably figure out where I was. Uh, but uh, I am back today. Lots to go over. Lots I wanted to go over yesterday. But of course, the news cycle just keeps on ticking. So I'm not even sure that I can go back and talk about some of the stuff I wanted to talk about previously. Because there is so much to talk about uh, just today. Uh, I, I think probably the biggest thing right now, uh, the thing everybody's talking about is uh, Joe Biden's disinformation department that he the, the you know, if you if you're a Orwell fan, the Ministry of Truth. And this is all stemming. From the 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 social media aspect of this, and so of course I I have to I have to once again say that I I believe social media is a cesspool. I have to be there because of the political writing and, and radio and all that, just promoting building a platform and everything. I don't want to be. I would rather not be focusing so much on Twitter and Facebook and all and all that. But I, you have to to keep up with the news cycles and everything, get all the takes and all the thoughts and everything. you just got to do that. This, um, this, this ministry of truth, we'll just call it that because that's what it is. But uh, the, the disinformation governance board that Homeland Security is creating, it's being led by Nita Jankowicz. And you've probably heard a lot throughout the day Today on the various talk shows about us, but uh, you know, Bongino, I know, is talking about it for, for his show. All I'm going to say is this Nina Jankowitz, before she was a fierce feminist color revolution debunker, yes, that is a thing, before she became the head of the Ministry of Truth, before she became the leader of the Disinformation Governance Board. She wrote erotic Harry Potter songs on the internet. I'm not making this up. It's actually legitimately a thing. She was on TikTok. She says crazy social justice things, but she wrote erotic songs about sleeping with Harry Potter on the internet at a time when the character Harry Potter was about 14 years old. Please. Please tell me how the Democrats are still in touch. Please, please inform me how you think the Democrats are in touch when they are creating a disinformation governance board, which is really little more than another place for you to go to report things that you don't like. This is back. Remember back when the Obama administration created their little uh, group that you could report your neighbors for giving uh, misinformation about Obamacare. Remember that initiative that shuttered in like a year because nobody was reporting because it was ridiculous? This is the same thing now. The Biden administration is just recycling ideas from the Obama administration, it seems. Uh, and that's where we are. But that's that's what everybody's talking about. But the thing is, this is going to be focused largely on social media. Uh, it's not it's not going to have as big an impact as a lot of people are saying, but a lot of people uh, are, are journal a lot of people are talking about are journalists and journalists spend their time on social media. And the the activists spend a lot of their time on social media, so they're worried about all that. there There could be some repercussions in in mainstream outlets and things like that. But this is not going to affect you or me, more so you, 
than me. Um, I mean, they could come after me, maybe. But, you know, I, I you know, it, it, this area of the state, this this particular audience of this radio station is not very active on Twitter, which is where a lot of these controversies, you know, are. And I know that because I keep saying my Twitter handle, at Joe P. Cunningham on Twitter, and none of you guys are following me. So I figure either you don't like me or you don't actually have Twitter profiles that you pay attention to very much, either which way. That's fine. Uh, this is just not the the type of audience that is very active on Twitter. So what happens at Twitter, the, the, the disinformation governance board and all that, um, it, it's not going to affect your daily lives. But th- this is part of the Democrats' overall messaging problem. And I want to get deeper into this because it's it's not so much about social media. It's how the Democrats are treating voters. The Democrats believe that you and I are not smart enough to actually know the truth. And I'm going to quote something that you're probably not going to care much about, but again, it's, it's something that needs to be quoted. Why does the base keep falling for this? Supporting Republicans is what this is referring to, says Joy Behar of The View. She then claims to know what's in the common folks' best interest. They keep voting against their own interests. The Democratic Party is trying to help them save their lives. Sarah Haynes, on The View, calls voters ignorant. Please, 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 DNC, if any of you know the Democratic National Committee and you can reach out to them, please give them my, my deepest wishes in hopes that they take this line of messaging and they run with it in 2022, that voters are simply too ignorant to know what's good for them. You have a bunch of upper class, frankly, empty headed women on The View who are saying that you and I are too ignorant to know what's good for us. We should be voting for the Democrats because they have our best interest at heart. The Biden administration thinks that you're too stupid to actually be able to understand all the information that's out there and make the right choice. So they want to censor the information that's out there from one particular side. The Democratic Party is losing touch. Okay, there's only one demographic that has general approval of Joe Biden, and that is upper class educated white women. Virtually every other demographic is either breaking even or disapproving of Joe Biden and his job performance. Because most Americans understand that the Democrats are not there representing them. They're there looking down on them. They are wanting to rule them, not represent them. 232-1542 if you want to be part of the program. When we come back, more on that because it ties into some of the other local stories that I really want to get into that and more here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5, KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5, KPL. Glad to be with you all today, 232-1542. If you want to be part of the program, uh, we'll start taking calls probably at the bottom of the hour after the news. I want to get through this because there's a new NPR Marist poll that's out. And this feeds into what I was saying. The Democrats are doing a lot of rulership. And not a whole lot of representing. And this is actually very evident in a lot of the poll numbers that we're seeing. NPR Marist poll. Republicans lead Democrats on generic congressional ballot among a few interesting groups. Now, we expected that with uh, Republicans. I mean, uh, I'm sorry. Um, 
So I mean, Republicans, so Republicans are going to vote Republicans. Ninety-three percent of Republicans say they're going to vote for Republicans. Three percent say they'll vote for Democrats. Okay, but here's an interesting data point: ninety-two percent of Democrats say they'll vote for Democrats. Seven percent of Democrats say they'll flip and vote for Republicans. You have more Republican voters unsure than you have Democrats. Only one percent of Republican voters in this poll are unsure of who they'd vote for. Three percent of Republicans are unsure. You have more Democrats sure they're voting for the other side than than the Republicans have. But here is the interesting one. Among Hispanic voters, 39 percent say they would vote for a Democrat. 52 percent say they would vote for a Republican. That's a 13-point difference. If Republicans are really leading on the con- generic congressional ballot by 13 points, it's a bloodbath. Um, if they're leading by 13 points among Hispanic voters, it's a bloodbath. What's more, the Republicans are also leading with parents who have children under 18 years old. 60% of parents with children under 18 choose the GOP, 39% choose Democrats. You also have, I don't know why they combine Gen Z and millennials, but Gen Z millennials are more likely to vote Republican right now. Gen X is more likely to vote Republican right now. Baby boomers are more likely to vote Republican right now. Uh, The greatest generation is siding with the Democrats. Men by 52 to 37 are voting for Democrats. Women are 50, I'm sorry, men 52, 37 for Republicans. Women 51, 41 for Democrats. That is pretty significant, especially those Hispanic numbers. Now keep in mind, Hispanic voters are trending more conservative. Typically, generationally, they trend more conservative the longer they stay in the country But you also have a lot of Hispanic voters whose families were trying to escape socialist regimes only to come here and see the party currently in charge trying to enact a lot of those policies. What's more, you have a bunch of rich, white, upper-class women who start using Latinx instead of Latino or Hispanic, referring to voters, because they want to be inclusive. You have Latino and Latina because it is a gendered language. There is no Latinx. There is no way to say that in Spanish. It simply does not exist that way. You cannot do it. And Hispanic voters feel like they're being talked down to, that they are being ignored, that their identity and their culture is being ignored. Remember, Hispanic voters are largely Christian. And with the... Educated, white, elite, out-of-touch progressives who are leading the Democratic Party, it more often feels like an attack on that Christian culture than it is an endorsement of it. But the Democrats have so long thought that the Hispanic voters are going to be on their side that they took it for granted and they kept pushing a little too far, a little too far. So now you're looking at a generic congressional ballot where Hispanic voters are 13 points more likely to vote for Republicans. That is an incredibly big deal. But the Democrats believe that you're actually too stupid to really understand why you should vote for them. And so they have to censor all the other words out there so that you can just hear them and then you'll just know that they're the best choice for you. 
and the ladies on The View think that you're just too stupid to understand that the Democratic Party is just here to take care of you. They're out of touch. They are in their own bubble. I told you guys at the beginning of this week, uh, on Tuesday, I was in the Northeast. And there are a lot of folks who are very woke, very progressive, very liberal. And they don't understand that their view of anyone outside of their bubble is actually offensive to the people outside of their bubble. Let's just speak dispassionately for the moment. Let us speak outside the realm of partisanship. If you are being told by somebody that you are too stupid to understand what they're talking about, are you likely to join their side in the argument? Absolutely not. It's bad argumentation. In the English world, English education world, you would fail that argumentative essay. I'm here to write about why basketball is better than football. If you don't agree with me, you're just too stupid to understand. An English teacher would give that essay an F. But that's essentially what the Democrats are doing right now. They're going after the means and access of information and trying to shut down whatever disagrees with them because they think that you are too stupid to be able to look at multiple sets of information, come to your own conclusion, and it be an informed one. And that's why they're losing. Yes, the policies suck, and yes, the economy shrank, the GDP shrank. Yes, inflation is still terrible. Yes, all these other things, but when it comes down to it, no one is going to like your party, whether you're in charge or not, if you are calling the voters idiots. And that's what the Democratic Party is doing. They are calling their voters idiots. They're calling Republican voters idiots. They're calling independent voters idiots. They think you and I are too stupid to really know the true issues and why we should vote for them. And as a result, Republicans now lead on the generic ballot by three points, according to NPR Marist, which is not going to be a strong Republican poll. If Republicans are leading by four votes, by four points on a generic ballot, it's bad news. But Republicans aren't just leading by four points. This is one of the narrower gaps. We're talking six, seven, eight, nine points in some places. And if that's the case, if the Republicans have a 47-44 or a 48-42, or God help the Democrats, if the Republicans have a 50-plus percent on a generic ballot, the Democratic Party is not just losing the House and they're not just losing the Senate, you're getting dangerously close to veto-proof numbers. And that is going to scare the ever-living bejesus out of the Democrats, and they're not going to know how to handle it. They don't even know how to handle their unpopularity right now. Again, they're calling you idiots. They cannot handle the fact that they're losing. They can't. They do not understand that it is how they are talking to voters. 
It's not about the Republicans stopping their agenda. It's not even about the economy. When you get down to it, yes, the economy sucks. And yes, it's being baked into voters' equations. But when you're not taking responsibility and when you're saying, well, you just don't understand all the intricacies of the GDP and why it's a bad measurement. You are talking down to the voters and the voters are not likely to listen to you. They're not likely to vote for you. They're going to go with the other side because maybe the other side will give them a chance to actually make a point. But it's important to know, along with all of this, before we go to our bottom of the hour news break, it's important to know this. Republicans cannot and should not overplay their hands. And there are some races where that could be happening. Let's talk about that after the break here on the Joe Cunningham Show. News Talk 96.5 KPL. So you remember earlier this week, by the way, this is Joe Cunningham here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. You remember earlier this week, uh, one of my big complaints is that the Republicans need to be policing their own side. You need a better, stronger conservative movement. You have, uh, like I said earlier this week, Bill Cassidy is raising money for Jennifer Strahan. She's running against Marjorie Taylor Greene in her district in Georgia. Uh, It's high profile, uh, one, because it's a Louisiana U.S. senator who is raising money for this candidate. But two, Marjorie Taylor Greene is a major figure in the Trump side of Republican politics. Well, Marjorie Taylor Greene, by the way, is in trouble right now for an interview she gave where she said that the church in America is uh, is being run by Satan. And and I could spend some time on that, but I, I just don't want to. But Republicans, again, are running primaries against each other at a time when the Republicans could be united, focusing on the future and focusing on rebuilding the party after 2020. But instead, there's a lot of infighting going on. And some of the infighting is being driven by Donald Trump and and him still wanting to kind of air out his grievances from the 2020 campaign. He's had a preferred candidate in the Georgia gubernatorial race, and that's former Senator David Perdue, the guy who lost to John Ossoff. And Trump has been raising money for and really pushing David Perdue, uh, and Perdue had really been uh, defending Brian Kemp up until Trump finally convinced him to run, in which case he started attacking Kemp. The moment he launches his campaign for governor against Brian Kemp and against Stacey Abrams, uh, Purdue brags about internal polling that shows him points ahead of Kemp in a in a election situation. Well, every poll since then has shown that Brian Kemp not only beats Purdue but also beats Stacey Abrams. In fact, Brian Kemp's numbers right now are higher against uh, Stacey Abrams. He's got a bigger margin against Stacey Abrams now than he ever did in 2018. Donald Trump appears to be throwing Purdue under the bus. He had an interview with the New York Times. Here's his quote. Remember, you know, my record is unblemished. The real story should be on the endorsements, not the David Purdue one. And by the way, no race is over. The real story should be on the endorsements, not the David Purdue one. He's throwing Purdue under the bus because he sees that Purdue was losing. He did the same thing with Mo Brooks in Alabama. If, remember, Donald Trump has been big on pushing for winners, and he talks a lot about winning and winners and being a winner. And he's dropped Mo Brooks because he was a loser, and he's dropping David Perdue because he's a loser. Not like really a loser, but I mean, he's losing. 
his his electoral race. So Trump appears to be ready to distance himself from David Perdue like he did Mo Brooks, which is going to be bad because everybody knows that Trump is the one who pushed Perdue in this race in the first place. But that's the thing. The Democrats are losing to Republicans on a congressional ballot by 13 points. They're losing Hispanic voters by 13 points on a generic congressional ballot to Republicans. Republicans hold a four-point advantage over the in, uh, in the NPR Marist poll on the congressional ballot, and yet Republicans are fighting some really kind of stupid battles right now. And you have the former president, you have Trump getting involved in races really more for his grievances than actual winning Republican strategy. That's why everybody was confused about his endorsement of Dr. Mehmet Oz in Pennsylvania. Oz, by the way, doesn't even live in Pennsylvania. That's coming out once again. He still has not moved to Pennsylvania despite the fact that he's running for U.S. Senate there. But Trump is getting involved in these races, and it's really causing some Republicans to scratch their head and try to figure out why. All at a time when the Republican Party should be focused on unifying, rebuilding, and running strong elections. There are a lot of good candidates out there. You don't actually need crazy candidates or candidates who are being pushed because of grievances. You need good, strong, winning Republicans. And that's what we're seeing. That's one of the things that we're also seeing right now in Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis is making a more aggressive play. He's now going out to stump for candidates in other states. He, um, he was stumping for Adam Luxalt, uh, who is running for Nevada Senate. Um, and he's out there really touting the, the culture war with Disney. And when we were young, you could watch cartoons without having to worry. DeSantis talking about Disney uh, injecting sexuality into uh, programming for children. And DeSantis is really fighting hard on this. He's fighting on an issue that's really winning a lot of parents over. And it's, it's smart Republican electoral politics as opposed to running somebody who is a QAnon believer, somebody who is uh, running just to kind of refight the battles of 2020. Republicans need to be smarter. And right now, a lot of Republicans are not playing smart politics. And it's really confusing given where we are and given just how bad at politics the Democratic Party seems to be right now. And that's it. That's that's really the analysis of where we are on the electoral politics on the national side right now. Now, I'm going to take a bit of an early break because when we come back, I want to talk about something here in the state and some news that came out yesterday. Before I get there, I do want to address the big story that I missed yesterday. And that is, of course, the shrinking economy. Uh, a lot of economists were surprised by uh, the economy shrinking by one point four percent in the first quarter of twenty twenty two. Most of the predictions were a very modest uh, one point in growth in the GDP. And instead, we got 1.4. Uh, uh, we lost 1.4% of growth in GDP. Um, the Biden administration is trying to push it and say, well, there's a lot of complex. Uh, there's a lot of complex, you know, factors that go into GDP. And we have the strongest economy since Reagan 
And they're they're really pushing that. The commerce department is pushing that last bit a lot. They are saying this is the strongest economy since Reagan. By the way, college-educated students have the lowest unemployment that we've seen in years. 2% unemployment among college graduates. If that's all the case, if the economy is so good, if it's much better than the GDP suggests, why is the Biden administration trying, or why are Democrats trying to push the Biden administration to cancel up to $50,000 in student loan debt? Why would they do that? Why would the Democrats be for that? Again, this goes to the tone deafness of the Democrats. The Democrats are really out there. And there are a lot of Democrats and a lot of activists who are out there saying that you're being selfish if you say, why do I need to pay somebody else's debts? Why can't they be responsible for their own debts? You are the selfish voter. Just like you're too stupid to understand the issues, you're too selfish if you don't want to pay somebody else's debts. If the economy is as strong as the Biden administration says, and it's not, but if they're going to tell you that the economy is so strong, why do student loans need, why do student loan debts need to be forgiven? And there's no reason. There is no actual real reason for that. We're going to take a break. Before we do, though, I've got some good news. If you are the fifth caller coming into the break, you're going to win a prize. Our Seize the Deal this week, you paid $10 for $20 worth of food at Outback Steakhouse. So to celebrate that, if you're the fifth caller during this break, when we go to break, you're the fifth caller, you get a $50 Outback Steakhouse gift card just for calling in. Remember, our Seize the Deal this week, $10 for $20 worth of food on Seize the Deal. Be the fifth caller during this break. We'll get you that gift card here on the Joe Cunningham Show, News Talk 96.5 KPL. Welcome back to the Joe Cunningham Show here on News Talk 96.5 KPL. Congratulations to Kevin, who was the winner of our $50 gift card to Outback Steakhouse. Remember, our Seize the Deal launching today. You pay $10 to get $20 worth of food at Outback Steakhouse. That's at Seize the Deal. Be sure to go there and check that out. Again, congratulations to Kevin who called in uh, caller number five and won that $50 gift card. If you'd like to call in, 232-1542, and you can be part of the show here in the last segment. Real quick, this is the story that I really wanted to get to yesterday before all of the excitement and other local news kept me from being on even on the program. High-ranking Louisiana State Police officers confirm cover-up in Ronald Green's death. A high-ranking officer with the Louisiana State Police confirmed a cover-up within the agency in connection with the 2019 death of Ronald Green during his violent fatal arrest by a trooper in Union Parish near Monroe. When you're talking cover-up, potential cover-up, we're agreeing with you, Lieutenant Colonel Kenny Van Buren testified late Thursday during a special State House committee hearing. That was a push to distort what that was. I'm not going to sit here and preach the left's uh, sermon on the systemic racism of law enforcement or anything like that. Law enforcement is a net good in our communities. There are bad apples that will spoil the bunch. But in general, law enforcement does a good job. 
the Ronald Green case is an ugly spotlight into what happens when authority doesn't realize that there are limits to its power. And what happens in these situations is a fundamental destabilization in our faith in authority, in our faith in the people who are supposed to be leading and protecting. This should never have happened. In the first place, Ronald Green should still be alive. However, his death should have had some justice much sooner. Long before now, there should have been some sort of justice. And thankfully, thankfully, you have um, you have prosecutors who are now going to be com- uh, bringing in a grand jury, and we're going to start seeing some indictments. The House committee is still investigating it, and you're going to see more and more as it continues to unfold. The system has been way too slow. But right now it is working. We need to make sure that the system continues to work and works more efficiently because we need to have faith in our law enforcement. We need to know that law enforcement is going to do its job. And more importantly, we need to know that law enforcement is not going to be hindered by the politicians. It was political maneuvering that kept Ronald Green's case out of the public eye. It was political maneuvering and consideration that allowed the cover-up to happen. And here we are now, far, far too far in the future. Here we are now only getting to some of the truth. And you have somebody who was with Louisiana State Police now confirming that it was indeed a cover-up. What specifically is uh, Van Buren saying? He testified in front of a House special committee convened to investigate the death that retired Captain Mark Richards said he was ordered to block the crash report from being distributed. Richards said he found that order highly irregular. Van Buren says it was a cover-up. Richard says it was very clear there was a narrative being pushed and that the cover-up went all the way up to the top. Where is the top here, by the way? Because we also know that Governor John Bell Edwards got a text saying that this man died in police custody after an altercation. But the official story went out that, he, that Ronald Green died from an impact in a car accident, in a car crash. He died on impact. So Edwards had the information that Green died in custody, but said nothing when state police pushed out the story that Green died as the result of a car crash. These are political considerations that led to what happened here. Right now, you have crime waves all across the country. The Democrats trying to downplay them as much as possible. But you have crime waves all across the country because there's no longer any true respect for law enforcement. 
the Democrats have called for law enforcement to be defunded. Prosecutors have stopped trying to prosecute crimes. Police have been told to stand down. There are law enforcement agencies that have engaged in cover-ups when they've acted poorly. There is a lot more to be desired from law enforcement at times. Absolutely, no system is perfect. But Louisiana State Police is still Louisiana State Police. And Louisiana State Police is still the top law enforcement agency of the state. And they need our support and they need to know that we trust them because Democrats are out there telling you that all cops are not great. And they're out there telling you that the whole system is systemically racist. And Louisiana State Police heard its own credibility and own authority here. And it just adds to what the Democrats are saying. And that's causing so many problems in our communities. Violent crime is spiking. Property crime is spiking. And we need to reinforce our faith. We need to get we need to make sure that our law enforcement agencies and our authority figures and our leadership, our politicians, everybody is being held to account so that the system can get better. It's not an all cops are crooked sort of thing. It's not an all cops are racist sort of thing. It is very simply we need to make sure that everything is getting better. That's really all I had to say about the, the Ronald Green thing. I just wanted to, to throw that out there. Uh, before we go, because we've got uh, a couple minutes left, I want to go back to the, uh, the whole Twitter thing. Elon Musk, who, by the way, also joked that he wanted to buy Coca-Cola and put the cocaine back in, which I thought is a great idea. But Elon Musk is really talking about making substantive changes to Twitter. Now, again, Twitter is not a social media platform. That is, it, it actually not that many people, not nearly as many people use it as you might be led to believe by the media and the influencers and all that. But it still is a fairly impactful public square. And the fact that the Democrats are panicking about that public square being public again should tell you everything you need to know about what they're, really up against in November. They are up against themselves. They don't want to be challenged. They don't want their ideas to be really and truly fully exposed. Twitter is a public square. And it needs to be maintained as such. And hopefully Elon Musk will do that. And that's going to be it for me today. Uh, a whole weekend until I'm back. You guys have fun at Fest. Well, I hope that I can maybe see you there. In the meantime, catch me on Twitter at Joe P. Cunningham, Facebook.com slash Joe Cunningham Show, and check out any previous episode of the Joe Cunningham Show on whatever podcast platform you use, Spotify, Apple, etc. I'll talk to you guys again in a couple of days here on the Joe Cunningham Show News Talk 96.5 KPL. <laughs>